Welcome back. Welcome back. Thank you. To another episode of Till the Wheels Fall Off. I'm Matt. I'm Paige. And uh, we are going to do an FAQ episode today. So we pulled the community, got some awesome questions here, compiled what we felt were the most commonly asked questions, and we're going to put them into an episode today that I hope is helpful for everyone. Stumbles upon us. We've got a bunch of people who are finding us for the first time, and these are common questions that people have. Word. Uh, to get started, though, we're going to start with a quote from Alex Hormozzi, who's this guy that we follow. He's got this podcast, and he's really active on Twitter. I'm not sure if he's a TikTok guy. I don't know. But either way, he's awesome quotes. He's like a quote monster. Uh, he's got this one that I think is fitting. A quote monster. He's a quote monster. Fitting, all right? I've never heard that before. He says, if you're between two actions to take, so deciding between one thing or another, choose the one that's the story you prefer to tell for the rest of your life. Boom. Choose the one that's the story you'd prefer to tell for the rest of your life. That can go in so many different parts of your life. And it's profound. When I read it, it had meaning to me. I know that if you're listening to this, it's got meaning to you. Paige, it's got Mm -hmm. meaning to you. Yep. Your hair looks awesome, by the way. Thank you. I've got my 80s style going on. I love it. Thank you. Rocking the Finch shirt. Oh, yeah. Yes. (laughs) For anyone that was in high school and like my favorite band in high school. Early aughts, man. That was, yeah, we used to rock to them all the time. That was fun. Okay. Thank you for getting this for me. And you sound a little better this week, by the Just way. Just a little bit. I'm dealing with... I mean, I'm with, not going... Yeah, Sorry, struggling y'all. to breathe over there. Like, but I was dealing with a chronic COPD patient last week. That's how I feel week. now. I think that's how I feel now. With the toilet paper roll and the... <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm not carrying a to- toilet paper roll anymore. We got through it. Now, it's just... You sound good. Thank you. You sound good. Got a little cough drop going? I do. Almost it's over It's almost this. done. We're almost through it, babe. You're so close. This is almost three damn weeks. Of this God, shit. man, that stuff said it's hooks in you. Mm-hmm. I've never been this sick like this. Like this was worse than COVID. Ugh, that's rough. That's rough. We appreciate you being here. Thanks. <laughs> Did you have a choice? No. She was teaching dance like two minutes before this. It's been a long day. Yeah, it has. <laughs> Gosh. Kidding. But it's okay. I'm here for y'all. And I think that we have some great stuff to talk about today. For sure. Okay. So first question that we pulled out of here. Um, how do you support someone in recovery? It's a loaded question. Yeah. What are some of the dangers here? Like when you hear this, I can hear you already. Okay. So what is that? What is that about? Uh, supporting would be like managing. It's, I, when I hear that, I think that people think that they're going to have to manage a person. Okay. So you know what that means by managing, making sure they're going to meetings, making sure that, you know, maybe doing urine samples or drug tests or constantly doing breathalyzers, watching that, over yeah. them. Um, constantly making sure they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do. And that is not what support is, but that's how I, you know, I see that's it, how it feels whenever it you feels see that question. When I see that question. So support in this, in this sense, this is the way that, that I take it is that how do I provide support to someone to let them know that they're not alone? Okay. How do I let them know that they're not alone? Yeah. And I think that's a safe way to look at this really, to be Absolutely. honest, because it's their recovery. You're along for the ride, certainly. So how do you just let them know that they're not alone? And there's a gray area here. I was a about fine to line. say that. You just totally took it out of my mouth. <laughs> Dealing like, with the all or nothing no, thinker over here. Yeah, there is no like black and white answer, all or nothing thinking to this. Like you've got to find the balance and gray area with all of the stuff that we talk about. Okay, so some, some things that we've done, we've compiled a list of things that I think made us successful in this. Um, <laughs> the first one, hang on, she's coughing. You good? Okay. I'm okay. I got this. Okay. 
I'm not dying yet. First one, um, education on addiction in itself, I think is very, very helpful. It's valuable. Absolutely. For, for the person in recovery, obviously, like I, God, I hope that they've gained some kind of education on this, but for the, the partner and the spouse as well, having an understanding of what addiction is, kind of how we arrived at this point. What it does to your brain. Yeah, there's something that's not talked about enough. So I'm not going here yet. But when we talk about the disease concept of addiction, I don't want to get off the rails. I'm just going to give my personal opinion and my personal experience with the disease concept. Is so, this on a different episode? Is that what you're saying? No. Well, well this is an episode that we've, we've talked about doing, but it's like. No, that's what I'm asking. Or we're not talking about this today. I'm going to get into it just a tad. Okay, I'll shut up. Because we're I'm talking about. Let's you talk. Because we're talking thing. about the education of addiction in itself. So the disease concept, right? Yeah. The disease concept essentially states that there is a disease of the brain that causes this in people that when they put something in their body, they don't react like normal people do. It's because of the disease of addiction. There's, you know, hereditary factors, there are environmental factors. There's all kinds of stuff. Something I think that is overlooked though, is, um, we're talking about addictive substances. We're talking about things that anyone can get addicted to. Lab rats can get addicted to this stuff, right? So it's an addictive substance. Okay. So we're talking about ad- the effects of addictive substances on the brain. Okay. I don't necessarily want to talk about the disease itself because this was my personal experience with it. When I first read that, that I had a disease, I was like, eh. <laughs> honestly, like I know a lot of people like they, they die on that hill. Like I have a disease and I think that that's valid. That's great. And a lot of people use that knowledge to sort of instill the understanding that I can't do this again. I can't drink again because the result will be I will use to, you know, unhealthy limits and I'm going to go off the rails Okay. because of the disease. Right. For me, it was more like. But then it can go another way too. Which way? Like I have a disease. I can't help myself. That's the other part of it that's always been kind of dangerous is I've seen this a lot is I've seen chronic relapsers make the excuse that, well, I have a disease, so what's the use in trying? Right. Because it essentially states that you have a chronic disease with no cure. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people will look at that and they'll say, can't win, don't try. Yeah. Especially if they're a chronic relapser where they've tried like 12-step programs and things like that. They look at this as sort of like, um, I don't know, it's like a, it's kind of like a curse. Like you forever are screwed. You're, you are different. You are less than. And for a lot of people, it can be damaging. I think for some others, they can take it and it can be super hopeful too. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, well, there is a solution. This is what it looks like. I think for me, if it did anything at all, I think what's important for the family member, for the partner, the spouse is to understand that when these people do this, there's a repeated pattern of behavior that's been shown over time to occur, which is the chronic use of an addictive substance that leads to behaviors that are damaging for everyone involved. Right. Abusive behaviors for themselves, for and you, for your them. loved ones, yeah. everyone around them. That's as far as I really like to take it is that. There is evidence to show in this person's life that the ingestion of whatever substance it is leads to a pattern of behavior. Yeah. Call it a disease, call it an allergy, call it a pattern of behavior, whatever you want. Just know that that is real. Yeah. That when this person ingests this thing, that happens. Okay. But as a spouse and partner, it can be, gosh, let me walk this line as careful as I can. Um, (laughs) When you say that your loved one is afflicted with this disease and they can't help it, I'm going to push back a little bit. Okay. Just a little bit, right? Because we're talking about something that's treatable. 
right? Uh, okay, whether you agree with the spiritual solution of like a 12-step program mm-hmm. or a religious-based solution like Celebrate Recovery or a CBT approach like Smart Recovery or something behavioral like Life Ring, yeah. there are solutions. We know that. People have recovered. Some people just recover on their own just through willpower and whatnot. Yes. But I don't like it when addicts make the partner feel like you should just cut them slack because they have a disease and just give me, give me a break. Cause I have this disease and feel sorry for me. Cause I have this disease. Yeah. Cause I see so many people that are in it and like, they want to show empathy for this person that is obviously struggling, but they, they let it slide too easy with the disease thing. Like there is an element of choice in this. You explained that very well. I hope I did. And I didn't did. like offend anybody. Cause like it's a touchy subject. No, and, I know it's a like, touchy subject. There's so subject, many perspectives and, and, and all valid. I understand all valid, that. Right. But, and this is our experience with it though. Yeah, so it's, it's just. As a recovered addict, if I would want the spouse to know one thing is that yes, they have something, they have a pattern of behavior and their brain is wired in a way that makes them, that makes their use uncontrollable at some point yeah. whenever they're using. But you do have a choice for the first drink. The second one, I could see the argument that you lose control. Yep. But the first one's a choice. Right. It's the second, third, fourth, and fifth. Those are out of their control. But it's the choice of the first one. So understand that there is some choice in here. So they are not like helpless kittens, you know, that are just like left in a box abandoned on the corner. Like right. sh- show empathy, but have an understanding as well that there is choice involved here. There is some accountability There's and that personal responsibility yes. in recovery. Yep. That's the first thing I would want anyone to know on addiction. All right. Um there's some physiological changes that take place in the mind and the body and they will not like I I heard it this way, right? At one time in my life, I was a cucumber. We're all born cucumbers. Drugs and alcohol turned me into a pickle. I can't be a cucumber again. My brain has been wired and I have discovered things about myself and I know truths about myself that if I use again, the likelihood is I go off the rails. Yeah. That's just a truth I know about myself based on a pattern of behavior and history. Right. So understand that, that you can be self-aware of this. It's not like they're just completely helpless. Right. Okay. So I kind of want to shift just a little bit because we're talking about how to sort support someone in recovery. And you were talking about the, like, I wanted to talk about the brain part, how it's been damaged so much. Yeah. So alcohol in particular, and opiates are really bad about this too. In fact, let's just say all, all illicit say, substances, let's just go ahead and say, cause they all have. Uh, been shown to do this. Yeah. Uh, they damage parts of your brain specifically in the prefrontal cortex, which the prefrontal cor- think of your prefrontal so, cortex as like your personality. Like this is where problem solving comes from problem too? solving, like the way that you interact with people. Like a lot of this comes from your prefrontal cortex, important cortex, the important cortex. <laughs> Let's go with that. <laughs> it's very important. And alcohol drugs damage this. Okay. Yeah. Some of the healing, there is some healing that takes place with abstinence but not totally. Mm -hmm. So there are actual physiological changes in the brain. Furthermore, if you think about it this way, think about, um, furthermore, furthermore, (laughs) sounded all fancy over here. You're writing a story. You don't talk like that. No, I do. When I'm on this kind of stuff, this is how I talk, man. Um, (laughs) this is is my normal life. I'm sorry. (laughs) I don't see you outside of this. Okay. So, when, more. So when you make choices, like uh, Pavlov's dog, right? Conditioning. Um, you know, Pavlov, ooh, everyone knows ooh, the story ooh, of Pavlov's yes, dog. Yes. You yes, know this? I you remember love, this? I just love how you connect these things. Okay, okay so, keep going. Keep talking. So I'll condi- stop, I'll so stop conditioning, right? So they, they, yeah. um, they, they give the dog, they ring the bell, give the dog a treat. And eventually when they ring the bell, the, the, the dog salivates. Yeah. Um, that is a learned behavior. 
And science refers to this type of thing as neuroplasticity. Plasticity. It's the oh. brain's ability to learn based on external changes. Habits changing. Uh, external Behavior. environment, right? So right. It's, it's how habits are created. Yep. Addiction does the very same thing. So it rewires their brain, truly rewires their brain. Mm-hmm. And addictive substances have a way of blocking off these important parts of the brain where they're not making wise decisions. They tend to be more selfish, which is a part of addiction in itself. And so I, I, I'd like to think that it's not all just like a, a spiritual malady, that there's actually some physiological stuff going on in here. And mm-hmm. a lot of smart, smart, way smarter than me, people have figured this out and studied this yeah. in depth. So there are some actual changes. But the great thing about neuroplasticity yes. is that you can rewire your brain the other way, yes, which is, explains how people recover. It explains mm-hmm. how people learn new behaviors. It explains how people recover from abuse and they change their ways over time. This is this is what happened to um, Scrooge or Scrooge, you know, uh, in Christmas Carol. Yeah, yeah. Like he had a massive event that rewired his brain. Think of it that way. <laughs> <laughs> but it took it takes work. It takes this work. This takes time. It takes time. This and is it takes where work. this is it's where a process we're over talking time. to the partners. Like the, there's patience that goes along with this because they do have to rewire their brains. So yeah, so that's the education piece of this. Understand that a lot of these things are going on and. And we just touched like a very tiny bit of it. Yeah, just the tip of the iceberg. And it doesn't happen overnight. These things take place over, think, years. This doesn't happen like a month. Like studies show that the brain changes quite a bit, like heals quite a bit in the first nine months of abstinence. Yes. But changes can occur for up to nine years. I still think things are changing within you. You think I'm still still recovering from that? I do. I, I think you're right. I think there's some things in me. That I are wonder still changing. if it takes as long as how long they use. I don't know. You use. I, I know that's just I don't, me I don't think pulling it's a one stuff one, out of my ass. But I'm not sure. But it just kind of. All I know is it takes a really long time and concentrated, intentional effort to make differences. Okay. All right. Very On difficult. to the next. So like anyway, what's... that's the education piece. I hope we didn't. <laughs> we just like blew. That took ten minutes. But yeah, anyway. but that's important information. I hope so, I, and I hope it's helpful for somebody. But. Uh, another really important piece of this to this support is, someone in recovery. Yeah, this is this is going to sound counterintuitive, but you have to support yourself as yep. well. Actually, I would I would encourage you to take this time to really focus more on yourself than your partner. Yeah, and it's tricky. So we think support and like Paige mentioned, we think support, we think like helping. Mm-hmm. It's not so much what we're talking about here no. and support addiction. The only person that can do anything about your loved one's addiction is your loved one. Mm-hmm. You can do some little things to encourage encourage positive behavior. You can, you know, make them feel good about things that were difficult. You can little things like that, but that's not, you can't do this work for them. It's a lot of work to Mm -hmm. rewire your brain. It takes a ton of work. So support yourself. Think about that supporting yourself. It's going to sound counterintuitive, but it will help both of you if that's what you want. The next thing is therapy. Tremendously mm-hmm. helpful, absolutely, to uncover a lot of the things that you know, getting to the root of the use itself. That takes place in therapy, um, or with the sponsor if you're working through twelve steps. But for some people, it's no more complicated than I just like an altered state of mind. I just like to get messed up. I didn't have a bad childhood. I didn't have trauma. I just like that. I like the way it feels. Yeah, but I think therapy is important for the partner. So because of all of the. Ther- therapy in the, the form issues. so yeah so therapy in the form of I, th- I think both people like both people get this the 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 addict gets it when they're working the program of some kind but therapy yeah. for the spouse is <laughs> tremendously important yeah tremendously important a quick break in the action to let you know about an exciting development in the tufo universe when we started this thing we said we would never work with an advertiser or company unless it's something that we believed in and we already use 
If you're looking for professional, affordable mental health care, look no further than Taylor Counseling Group, your trusted source for accessible therapy in Texas. Taylor Counseling Group believes that everyone deserves premium mental health care, regardless of their income level. That's why they offer reliable and affordable services at 12 locations across Texas. They've made affordability a priority. They are in network with most major insurance and the standard private rate is only $100 per session, significantly lower than many other practices offering the same high quality therapy. They believe that getting the help you need shouldn't drain your wallet. Scheduling an appointment is quick and easy with their convenient online booking tool. No complicated processes or long wait times. They value your time and ensure that you can access the care you deserve without any hassle. At Taylor Counseling Group, they believe in a personalized approach to therapy. The professionally trained counselors offer a diverse range of services, including individual counseling, couples counseling, family therapy, play therapy for children, and even specialized techniques like cognitive processing and existential psychotherapy. They're here to help you navigate life's challenges and develop a personalized treatment plan tailored to your unique goals. Taylor Counseling Group is your partner on the path to mental wellness. Experience professional, affordable care that puts you first. Visit their website, taylorcounselinggroup.com, or call them today to schedule an appointment and tell them Tufo Couple sent you. A link and phone number is going to be available in the show notes. And back to the action. You're going to feel alone. You're going to feel like you're going crazy. You're going to ask yourself, am I doing the right thing of setting this boundary? You're going to feel alone and lost because there's not a really a book that describes here's how you live with someone in addiction. Therapy does help that tremendously. And it helps uncover some of the reasons that those, some of those enabling behaviors were there in the first place, the codependent behaviors mm-hmm. you can help get to some of that. Right. What do you got to add on that? You've got a lot of experience with therapy. Oh man, life changing. It helped me open up a lot of like things within myself. It helped me focus on me and what I needed to do to stop worrying about you and, and everyone else around me. And in, in what ways do you think that it helped you support me in my recovery? Um, it helped me not control you to where you could make your own decisions. That's a good way of putting it. I think that's a perfect answer too. It's like, ultimately it's what it does. It sort of detaches you and puts you on your own journey, but we're communicating along the way. Yeah. And it helped me realize that, um, I can live with or without you. And that's what's the whole goal is. That's important with any type of situation. And I love you, but it's important for me to be. You know, I love it that you're in this place. Like it's beautiful. I can take care of me. That's beautiful. That's that's the goal, man. That's it. Yep. Okay. The next thing boundaries. And we've discussed these at length. Yep. Boundaries are crucial to support someone in their recovery. Boundaries can provide a nudge for someone in the right direction. Okay. So I've heard people who have boundaries around like, listen, you've got to be working some kind of program. Um, if you choose not to work some kind of program and think you're just going to come here and just not drink and be an a-hole, yeah. that's not going to fly. Right. I, I, I can't be around that because it's abusive for me. It's dangerous for me. So remember, you're protecting yourself, but you're also helping them. So in a way, boundaries are supportive. They are. Tough love can be a form of support. Um, discuss your goals in recovery. I think this is something that we did early on. So it wasn't just my recovery. Because at the end of the day, it is a family thing. Yep. It was my recovery, but you were also going to be part of this because we live together. We live a life together. We have dreams and goals. We had dreams and goals before addiction. So this, you know, we had, we talked about like, like, what does life look like? Like, what's the ideal life look like? Well, we did that. And then when we were in the um, FEP program, which was the family education program, is that what it is? Yeah. Uh, That's when we discussed a lot of things like our goals and 
how to set up boundaries and do all that kind of stuff. And we, we, we'd mentioned a lot of that. It was just a tiny bit, but it still helped get it started. Yeah. It was important for me to hear what you actually wanted out of life. Like Mm -hmm. I never really asked a question because it was all about me all the time. And it was important for me to hear that stuff. I mean, I would tell you, you just didn't remember. (laughs) I'm sorry. I mean, you know what I wanted out of life. You just didn't listen. But discuss your goals and recovery as a couple. You can kind of look at this thing. as like, it's your recovery. And I mean that as like, you both are going to be recovering. So how to support them. Working your own recovery is a form of support. Me as an addict, I didn't feel as alone when she was working on something too. I'm like, oh, okay. So we're both tinkering in the garage and working on ourselves. But I wasn't working on anything when you got out of rehab. Not right away. This This took time. Yeah, it took time. And I never felt more like... I never felt more like a couple, like we were in this together as when you started working on your own, which actually made you more well, independent. Babe, that didn't happen until like five years later. So yeah. what were we doing the first five years in your recovery? Uh, there wasn't a lot of this going on. It I was mean, me, we were discussing me being distracted by our little children. That's part of it. Honestly. <laughs> just like life that in was general. Literally, it was me just kind of trying to find a purpose, living high on anxiety, Going through the motions and not dealing with anything. We still discussed what we wanted in life. Oh, yeah. We still yeah. discussed our goals. And- no, no, no. I, definitely. We did discuss discuss those things, but I wasn't really doing much of anything for a while. Yeah, and this is another way to say communicate. Make sure you're communicating. Yeah. Communicate is a form of support. But also give space. You can do both. The next one. Hang on. So let's back up real quick. I like these and or things. Uh-huh. What do you mean by that? What when I said and give and give space? Yeah. I mean that if you bring something up and your partner is just kind of like, eh, let's not discuss that right now, I think you should respect that in that moment. I don't think you should pry, you know, maybe ask, well, when do you think will be a nice time to discuss it? Or, you know, maybe set another time aside to discuss it, but give each other space as well, because sometimes because their emotions are going to be extremely raw. Your emotions are going to be extremely raw. It's going to be hard to talk about some things. So you can be open, but also be clear on what you want to discuss and where those boundaries are. That's a good one. Good way of putting it too. Um, the next one we've got, uh, celebrate milestones and positive reinforcement. Mm-hmm. So it's not all just like, I'm independent. Don't talk to me. I don't talk to you. <laughs> you work your recovery. I work mine. It's important to talk about the milestones, like hitting 30 days, hitting 60 days, hitting 90 days. Like positive reinforcement has been shown to greatly increase someone's chances of wanting to do something again. Mm-hmm. Like when you're like, you ever seen a toddler when they did, like when they walk for the first time and you mm-hmm. cheer, everyone cheers for them, they mm-hmm. light up and they're like so happy and can I it say feels this? like that. I think that's beautiful and I did it really well with you, but I can understand if somebody doesn't want to do this. Okay, talk about it. Because we have been trying to do the right thing for years and years and years and get we don't get praise for that at all. And then when you have turned around and you're finally doing, you know, the right thing, saying, oh, great job, might be hard for some people. It might also be hard. You make a good point here. It might also be hard for someone who's been with a chronic relapser. Yep. I've seen you get 30 days before. I've seen you get 60 days before. Right. I've seen you get six months right. before. You're going to end up numb at some point and not want to do that. So I can speak from my experience when I was sharing, like, <laughs> it's almost like when you, when you're a little kid and you come home and you tell your parents, like something cool you did. Like I did a thing, mom, I did a thing, dad, like yeah. you're excited. You know, like there were times like that where I would tell you like, and then, you know, I, uh, a guy cut me off and I didn't freak out. And it's like, I was telling you, I 
cool thing I did. Yeah. And you would be like, that's awesome. That is like, awesome. That's great. That's like, you took a new behavior, like you're rewiring yourself. Like, yeah, this is that's great. the kind of shit that I loved. Yeah. Like you like to celebrate that kind of stuff with yes. me. And I really yes. love that. I yeah. really appreciate it. Yeah. That. And I know, and I think it's important, but I'm just telling you from the other side that I can understand why that's going to be really hard for people to do. I get it. I get it. That's valid too. Okay. I get it. Uh, we have the 90, 10 rule. This is something we came up with. Um, the 90, 10 rule says that I do 90% of the work and you do 10 and vice versa. Yeah. So in your recovery, I support you 10%. You do 90% of the work in my recovery. I do 90% of the work. You support 10%. Yeah. And I think we told the story, uh, in a TikTok. I'm not sure if we told it on the podcast. I can't remember. I'm going to tell it again real quick. When I was freshly sober, like right out of treatment, I was, um, I was in a 30 day program. We got out. I got out and we went to a Memorial Day party. I was like a week sober. And it was my first time like out in the world sober that I wasn't going like an AA meeting or something. Like I hadn't even gone back to work yet. And we went to your brother's for a Memorial Day party. And like, I love your brother. And like, we always hung out together, drank beer together. <laughs> I, I, I took it too far, but he was like my drinking buddy, you know? Yeah. It's like the first time I'm around my drinking buddies and like everyone knows what happened. So I feel like I've got like the scarlet letter on me. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just uncomfortable. So we talked about having an out and so I, I was resolute in learning how to live sober in the world because it wasn't the world's job to keep me sober. Like if I'm going to say that you can't drink, like you Paige, can't drink, I yeah. might as well just write Budweiser a letter and, and request they stop advertising beer commercials on TV. Yeah. Like it's never going away. I have to learn how to deal with this. Right. But early on in sobriety, I needed an out. So we talked about a code word. Yeah. So the code word, I don't remember what it was. I think I said banana. Let's just say it was banana. I don't know what it was. You remember? No, no, it was something really benign and simple like that, but it was like banana. So I, I wanted to go and give it my best. So, but if things got out of hand and if I did my best and I just, I was too anxious, I couldn't handle it. I could say banana and she would know that that meant, okay, it's time to wrap it up. I'll say my goodbyes and then we'll get out of here. And I think the party was a success. We hung out for three or four hours. You had some drinks. You got, to, you're trying not to cough so bad. You, you had some drinks. You, you hung out. We, we all, you know, shared stories. We talked. It was a great time. And then things started to get a little wild at the party because yeah. people have been drinking for several hours. And I kind of looked at you. and I was like, all right, banana. We'd been there for like four hours though. And I feel like that was successful. Yep. You know, I got to uncomfortable and you supported me in that. 100%. I was doing, I was doing 9% of the work, but you allowed me that little 10% out. Yeah. And you allowed me to still live my life. Yes. Yeah. Like and, it's not, and that's fucking amazing. Thank and, you. And I think that's the goal. I think that like in my mind, that should be the bar. Right. Yes. But not everyone's going to feel that way. No. So if your spouse isn't there yet, have a discussion with them about what the 90, 10 looks like. Maybe it's 50, 50 up front. I wouldn't recommend that. I think they have to learn how to do this stuff eventually. Yeah. But you know, what does support look like? Ultimately for us, I think that like ruthless accountability for me looked like being in it. Yeah. I had to learn. Yeah. And maybe I'm a, I don't know, maybe I'm like a masochist of some kind. I, I like pain. I don't know. I, I no, like doing things the hard way. I think way. it's awesome that you put yourself in uncomfortable situations because you know it helps you grow. Yes. You do that more now with everything. Like you're always going to push yourself to the limit and get uncomfortable because you're like, I want to see what I can do. That is empowering and like super badass. It was really cool after that. I remember like leaving and being like, I don't know if I even shared this with you because it felt like a stupid thing to be proud of. But I was like. I did it. Like I did it. Holy crap. I can do this. Yeah. It was awesome. And to have your support with me in, in your own way, you didn't even realize you were doing it. I felt like, okay, I can really do this shit. Yeah. I'm going to do it. So that was a really cool way to support somebody, but it's 90, 10, right? Like don't let them like, don't change all your life plans for this. Like early on, everyone's going to have a different version of what they're comfortable with. 
And I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, okay, well, maybe you should go to a meeting and I'll go to the party. Mm-hmm. Like you don't stop living your life because this person has a problem. They're going to have to figure this out. Yep. And just like, it's not non-supportive of them. You're giving them the time to go do what they need to do. Like you can't come to the meeting with me, you know? Right. It's, it's tricky. But, um, when it comes to relapse, it's common. It wasn't our experience, but I, something I've always wondered when it comes to relapse is like, how high is your pain tolerance for this? Like with chronic relapsers who have tried everything, um, you put boundaries in place. Like eventually you're going to have to make a decision here. Yeah. You're going to have to make a decision. And we talked about, you know, what that looked like when faced with two outcomes, tell the story that you would prefer to tell for the rest of your life. Yep. Just going to leave it at that. Um, number 10, uh, this is on going back to that Julia Roberts quote. Julia Roberts had this awesome quote. We don't really know if it's a Julia Roberts. I looked at it and like, I researched it and she said it in some shape or form, but it's been like memed in the world since. Okay. So the exact language isn't known, but the point of it was essentially that, um, you are not their mother. It is not your job to raise them or fix bad parenting. You have a life too. You matter. Yeah. That was essentially it. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. I think it's amazing. It was awesome. So that's what support looks like for someone in recovery. Now, the opposite of that, I I had this conversation today. What's up? You're giving me a look. What are you going with? I I had, I I made, I'm calling an audible right here. Okay. Okay. So I've heard that I've had this one asked too. How do you support someone that's not in recovery? And should you support someone that's not in recovery? This is going to be on you because that's not my experience because I was in such denial when you were using, I guess I could look at my life now and what it was like then. And I'm not going to offer an opinion. I'm just going to tell the story of a good friend of mine. One of the greatest. I thought you were asking me a question. Are you just talking? I'm just, yeah, that's like a rhetorical for the, like, for the <laughs> listeners. Like okay. how do you support someone not in recovery? Okay. So like, what are the things you can do to support them to, to, to get them in recovery, to Sh- get them in recovery? The short answer is you can't, um, <laughs> The most important thing there is that you're taking care of yourself. You're letting them know this behavior is not acceptable mm-hmm. and let them make the right decision. Okay. I will just tell the quick story of a good friend of mine. Okay. And I know he wouldn't mind me saying or telling the story. Um, and I won't mention any names or anything, but this, this friend of mine used drugs and alcohol for 34 years, mm-hmm. long time user. He, um, out of, out of high school, he built a business had a family, kids, house, the whole deal. Drugs and alcohol destroyed every bit of it. Burned it to the ground. He gets into recovery. He spent several years clean in NA, the NA program. Yeah. Got, you know, he wasn't quite free. He's, he says, I wasn't free, but I was sober, quote unquote. Those air quotes. I was sober. Like he was, he was doing the deal. He, he hadn't, he, he knew he wasn't quite done. So since he was a drug user, he had this thought, well, I never had a problem with alcohol. Maybe I should drink on a business trip. And he's like, as soon as he did that, he knew like, as soon as the, it, he swallowed, it, he was like, oh, that was bad. That was bad. And then that led to 12 years of in and out, in and out of 12 step programs, rehabs, detoxes, sober living, you name it. Yeah. From that one drink, Damn. 12 years. At this point, he is married again, new wife, new home, new career, like is an executive, like professional, like well put together guy speaks incredibly well, super smart dude. And now he's doing white collar drugs. So like he's doing prescription pain pills and alcohol. He's like me doing all that, that whole bit, you know, the yep. pharmaceutical speedball deal yep. and all that. And, um, his wife got really sick of it. And to her credit did not put up with this shit, did not put up with it. 
told him essentially, if you don't get in recovery, I'm out of here. Um, so he goes to a meeting on like day one, right? So day one goes to a meeting, gets a desire chip, decides he's going to do this day two. He has something profound happen. He sees a guy sitting across from him and the guy is free. He can see it in his eyes. He's like, that dude found a way out. I don't know how he did it, but I'm going to find out because he figured it out. I can see it. He's not BSing me. He's got the same history that I have, same past I have. He figured it out. So he had hope. He had a ton of hope. And that day was the day he decided this could work for me. He had this thought, why not me? Why not if it worked me? for him, why not me? Yeah. Powerful question. He said he had two thoughts. The other thought was, what would my life look like if this actually worked? And he got really hopeful. He's like, wow, I could fix everything. So then he goes home and things aren't good at home. He says addiction's like a freight train. When you stop pulling the freight train, it doesn't stop rolling. It keeps rolling. So just because we stop the substance doesn't mean that all these problems don't <laughs> freaking run you over. Right. So he gets home. Things are not good at home. Mm -hmm. This is 12 years of in and out, in and out, in and out, not doing good. And um, he has this, he, he chokes up every time he tells the story. Him and his wife start arguing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And he said he throws down the Trump card. You want a divorce? I hope I have him on one day to tell the story because it'd be really cool to have him tell the story. But he throws down the Trump card. Do you want a divorce? And she looks at him. She goes, yeah, I do. And he was like, oh, shit. Wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. And uh, he said that she told him, you're my best friend. You're my soulmate. I love you more than anything in the world. But I never want to see you again. Mm. He said for one second he had hope and then it was just crushed. Crushed. She said... Just tell me one thing in the 12 years you had to get sober. Why didn't you do it just one time for your family? And he just looked at her and said, I don't know. And all of his genius, he just looked at her and said, I don't know. And I, I get that addicts get that. You guys think we're monsters, but like, I get that. That's the part I can sympathize with. I don't think with. you're monsters. Just... That's the part I can sympathize with. It's like, you don't mean to hurt anyone, but he says what eventually got him sober was realizing that he had hurt the people that love him the most more than anything in the world. And here he is again, family number two, burn that to the ground. Wife gone, business gone, house gone, losing it all, villages crumbling around him, here we go again. And he was like, in that moment, he heard this voice from a guy that he used to go to meetings back in Detroit and this guy, he said he used to relapse over and over and over and he'd go and get a new chip every time. And the guy would say, hey, I'm glad you're back, man. You'll know in your heart when you've had enough. He said those words haunted him in that moment. He hadn't thought about the guy in years, but in that moment, he said he left that bedroom and he, he heard that those words, you'll know in your heart when you had enough. And he goes, this shit stops today. I've had enough. I'm done. But it was his wife's boundary. It was his wife's strength. It was her ability to look at him and say, this shit doesn't fly mm -hmm. that got him there. Yeah. I think there's power in that story. There I'm just going to leave it at that. It's someone taking care of themselves that got someone in the recovery. Now that's not everyone's. Yeah. It's not everyone's story. Let right. be clear. Like this isn't right. this That's isn't a, a foolproof formula. Right, right. But there's power but in it, that because power. she mm -hmm. would have been okay with or without. Yes. And the other piece of it was maybe he maybe it would be enough for him to see what he could lose. Mm. So when you are faced with two options, choose a story that you would prefer to tell for the rest of your life. Ah. I think there's just a lot of value in that. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay, we're we're taking too long here. No, we well, roll, well we I was, that's what this. I was going to say. We're not going to we're not we just Let's, um, 
you want to end it here and just pick up again? Yeah, this I think that's a great idea because we do have a lot to You're cover. right. This would be an hour episode if we keep yeah, going down Yeah, that was road. literally only one of the questions that we had. Yeah, and we've got one, two, three, And even then, four, we have five, so many more. Six, seven, yeah, we got a ton of these. These were just ones that we Okay, had, well, let's so just we'll stick it with that then. And I think, you know what? You're right. This is totally adequate. Like, how do you support someone with and without recovery? Mm-hmm. What does that look like for you? Yeah. And it's great. And I... I want to pick your brain for a minute because oh, like when I go to edit these things, I talk way too damn much. You're the one with the wisdom here, right? I don't have the wisdom. I have the experience that I can't articulate very well. <laughs> well, I'm going to, I want to juice it out of you. Okay. Okay. When, when so I was stupid, when I was in early recovery and we were just, we were just kids, we were 26 years old, uh-huh. kind of unclear of what, you know, at that age, like you're so I knew what identity. I wanted. I speak for yourself. Damn. Okay. I was like ready <laughs> to buy a house. I wanted to get married earlier. I wanted to have kids and my world was crashing down because you didn't, I feel like I forced you to do all that stuff, but whatever. Matt actually does whatever Matt wants. So I didn't force you to do shit. It's just, damn. Go, we're headed to the therapy after this y'all. <laughs> you got some shit to work on. <laughs> okay, no. Ask me. What were you going to say? Um just kind of summarize what what it was like dealing with someone in early recovery. What's that like? Okay, well, I mean, we've talked about it a little bit before, but when you first came home, it was almost worse than when you were actively using. You were gone all the time. And it pissed me off because I didn't understand the whole concept of um, you know, higher power family. No. Higher power recovery family. Yeah. I right? had to come after those things. Right. In my life, I was like, family comes first. You know, family comes first. But that's not, I learned that that's really not a true value of mine through this all recovery process. Yeah. So early recovery um, was just, I, I had a nine month old and I was busy with her. So I don't, I mean, I don't remember much. I remember we were going really fast in our life. You were going really fast and you were doing great and you were doing awesome, but you were like wanting to buy a house, have another kid. And I'm like, hang on, dude, you were just in rehab. I am. I was like very confused. It was very like a whirlwind because I didn't really have time to feel or focus on you or any, I didn't get time to focus on my recovery either. I was just like, okay, I guess we're going to live our life like I kind of wanted to. Did it kind of feel like things got swept under the rug? Yes. That's what I wanted to get at. Like, what did it, like the stuff that had happened, we really didn't address early on. No, we didn't. But I was just grateful that you had gone to get help. So I wasn't addressing that yet. I wasn't ready to address it yet. It and hadn't affected me yet. I guess the depth of it hadn't really gotten there yet. No. And I think what's, what's maybe a little bit different about our deal is that I was, I was a covert addict. I hid this. Yes. And you weren't a hundred percent sure if I was using like you knew I dr- the drinking obviously. No, I knew you drank. I knew you smoked. Um, you had me hide your pills. I was just oblivious. the prescription, but you didn't know about the other fifty I was buying every day. No, no, no. I didn't know about that. I knew I didn't know that you were taking a lot of stuff, other things too. Um, excuse me. <laughs> she's trying, y'all. <laughs> she's had to peel away from this mic like ten times for a coughing fit. <laughs> You're a trooper, Pagey. Yeah, thank you. Um, no, see, I just thought I married an asshole, and I, I don't know. You know, when I was in it, I don't know the damage that was done until years later. I will say this, and you may not remember it, but I remember it a little bit different. I remember you always being incredibly supportive 
when I had to go to meetings. I think that's something we didn't really touch on, but that's another part of what support looks like. You, like when we, like, it wasn't just me who told you, it's like, I, Hey, I, I'd call you on the phone from treatment. They're like, well, they're telling me that like this stuff has to come before everything. And obviously like, that'll piss you off. Cause it's like, well, what about me, dude? You left me hanging for freaking decade. Like, what about us? But when I got out, I guess you had heard it from them too. And didn't you have some one-on-ones with counselors and therapists there? Yes. And they, I think they told you the same thing essentially. Right. Yeah. And it sucks. How did that feel though? Where you, when you're told, okay, support looks like you giving up even more time for this person to go to meetings every night, to go to intensive outpatient for 90 days, to peel away on Saturday mornings to go to meetings, like they're going to be gone again. I mean, I think that we probably discussed it a couple times where I was like, you know, this sucks, but I wasn't mean to you about it. I never brought it up in an ugly way or like, hey, look what you did. Or um, I just would say, I, you know, I'm alone again. I'm still alone. This sucks. This really sucks. And you were nice about it. You actually validated me really well with that saying, I know I get it. I understand, but I do have to do this. And I respected that. I just, I don't know. I just respected it. And I kept sometimes some of the feelings I kept, you know, kind of down, bottled up because I didn't want to rock the boat because I had rocked the boat for so, so long, you know, within our dysfunction. I'm glad you did shit, man. If you wouldn't rock the boat, I don't know if I'd ever, you you were the person that, that really, you were the only person really that told me that there's value inside of you. I can see something inside of you. Like you're worth it. And that was huge for me. Like even when I was using, that was huge. So thank you for rocking the boat. Thank you for reminding me of these things. Thank you for calling me on my bullshit. I did. I needed call it. you on your bullshit. Always from day one. <laughs> even Still if does. it hurt me, even though it sucked, even mid episode, even though you gaslit <laughs> and you manipulated and you were, you know, you turned it around on me. I still, I was always tried to stand my ground. And that makes me wonder if I, I this is kind of shifting for just a second. You know how you went on your errands and like you were gone for hours at a time and I'd get really pissed and then you would drain the account. Um, yeah. Did I know what you were spending the money on? No. I would always make up some bullshit. I remember you saying, oh, we're getting tacos. Oh, I went to the donut shop. Oh, I went and got this. But I always had I some not- bullshit excuse. And I think that you were so busy and wrapped up in trying to raise an, a, a little baby that you were just like, I don't have time for whatever bullshit you're about to tell me. I'll deal with this later. I just didn't like it. I just knew something was wrong. I just knew it would, the way that I was being treated was not what I signed up for. Yeah, totally not. Totally not. That's it was, what substance is do. So derailed at that point. Mm-hmm. So screwed up. Yeah. But in recovery, you, you were extremely supportive because you just allowed me that space to do the things I had to do. And life's like a pendulum, right? And we've talked about this, how oh, things yeah. go from one extreme to the other. So in early recovery, talk about extreme. Like I did 90 meetings in 90 days. I went to IOP for 90 days. I continued to go to a meeting a day for at least the first year. Yeah. And slowly I kind of weaned off of that just a little bit and got it back to where I was going like three a week. And then it'd be like two a week. And then it's like, I'm at like one or two a week now, mm-hmm. like one a week, maybe not even that. Sometimes it's like one or two a month. Yeah. Um, but things, things kind of shifted back and there's a process there. There's oh, I a, think it's important. I tell people all the time, do the opposite of what you usually do. Go the extreme, see what happens, get into that and see if it works. And then you'll eventually find your balance. balance. Yeah. So I do think that if we didn't have our firstborn, I probably would have focused. If, if it was during that time, if you went to rehab before we had Sydney and you were trying to recover, I probably would have taken that time to dig more into my, myself. Your own stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were so distracted. Just yeah. trying, just hanging on for dear life. With yes, the and then you got me pregnant within like two months. <laughs> he's after a, he, that. He's awesome though, for right? For the second kid. <laughs> yeah, he's great. <laughs> yeah, and that's another thing. They don't recommend a lot of big changes in your first year of sobriety. Like they no. tell you, like, don't get any big relationships. And of course, Matt just had don't to make any do big it all. purchases. Okay, hey, I ran this stuff by people. Okay, it wasn't like I just decided on my own. Let's do this. I was like, except I, for me, I'm I, over here like, uh, I think we're ready to buy a house. And you wanted the house. No, I did want a house because we were trying that and, process before. You, you know, even I checked with rehab. my like my support system. I'm like, is do you guys think I'm in the right place to do this? And everyone's like, you're okay. You're doing great. Think you're all right. Let's but give it a, a baby. Shot. A baby. That was fun, right? Hey, yeah. I was around for this time. It was a little bit easier. Maybe? It was easier this that time. Much easier. But it was scary. I We talked about this the other day. Yeah, it's got to be scary Remember to have a baby Remember how that I was like, well, because with the we track had, record I had, with the record that you had with our firstborn, it was awful. Like that first, or you were not around during my pregnancy, during all of that. It was just not what I signed up for. So then when I got pregnant with our son, I was I was worried. I was like, well, you know. Am I not going to get the same? Am I going to get crappy support like before? Yeah. You were better. I hope. But then I didn't want any more kids after that. I was done. Yeah, we're retired out, <laughs> out of that game. We're done with that game. <laughs> and I will continue to do whatever I have to do to make amends for the things I did. Like uh, I, I think you you're cannot you're even great. begin to tell you how incredibly sorry I am. And I promise you that I will continue to make this up. This never stops. This word never stops. Don't beat yourself up over it. I'm not beating myself up over it. I mean, I don't, I don't have shame, but I have guilt. There's a difference between shame and guilt. Like, okay. Shame is like, this is what I am, but guilt is like, I made a wrong. I need to make that right. But I am grateful for our journey and our experience together. Well, because, hell yeah. We wouldn't be here if not. Right. We wouldn't be sharing our story and the strength. And I wouldn't have been comfortable to ever leave you if I needed to leave you. So you just warned me in a low key way. <laughs> I feel like I've just got a roommate at this point. He's like going to post any minute. <laughs> I'm saying this for partners. Okay. No. It's important. It's empowering that love doesn't mean, you know, like, oh my gosh, I'm just going to give all myself to you and you're all that matters and I'll die without you. You know what? It's a healthy relationship being with someone knowing that you're okay if with or without them Yep. and still loving them. That's a balance. I love you're my best friend. You're fucking amazing. <laughs> but I'm learning. I've learned to love myself and my value too. And I think that's what's important for our relationship. You've always known you would always be okay without me. No. Yes, crazy? you would. You nuts. <laughs> You're out of your mind. You think that? Yeah. You've always had that great no, attitude. man. Are you serious? That's all fake. That's all just fodder. <laughs> What are you talking about? You're my person. Well, you're my person too, but don't you think it's important for both of us? Okay. Do you think it's important for me to have that mentality? Does yes. it hurt your feelings? Be- no, it does not. Do you think that like, does it make you more attractive to me? Attracted to me? Because yes. you think that I stand my ground and I'm like, okay, yeah, like, you're not, I'm not, I'm not that little person that you first met that was like scared of everything. I got a carrot to chase now. I got to keep up. Yeah. I like a challenge. Hell yes. Let's go. <laughs> let's do it. Okay. I know this is a long episode, but I did want to say that. So our next episode, I did want to discuss this um, because I think this is very important. We're going to talk about when a good time to discuss how their addiction affected you in the process. Oh yeah. Cause I think one. this is in depth. Like, when do you bring that when up? When do you bring it up? How do you bring it up? What is that? Oh yeah. That's going like? to be a good one. man. Yeah. That's a loaded episode. I got it, all kinds of stuff there. Yes. Yeah, so that's why we couldn't put all this in one. Yeah. Cause we're already 45 minutes in I know. And for those of you that listen all the way through. 
Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for letting me talk at the end. At the end? There's always a dig. There's always a dig with you, man. <laughs> oh my God. This is our relationship. This is how we roll. Until the wheels fall off. Yes, baby. Alrighty. So we'll close it out here. Um, Counseling for the Future Foundation. We've mentioned it many times before. I'm going to mention it again. We are raising money to put therapists through school so they can graduate debt-free, so they can go into the field and help people just like you and your loved ones. And there is a greater chance that there's someone there when you need them because therapists are leaving the field mid-study or early in their associateship because school is just too expensive. It doesn't make sense to go do this and to work for free for a couple of years. They just leave the field, which means that there are less therapists, which means that there's less availability to get help for mental health. So incredibly important. Check us out. uh, Counselingfutures.org. Donate a little, donate a lot. It doesn't matter. Or just let someone know that it exists. Get the word out. Help us do that. Just graduated our first therapist debt-free, which is an incredible thing. And she's out there killing it. Out there saving marriages, minds, all kinds of good stuff. Helping people discover things about themselves. All right. Uh, until next time, I am Matt. I am Paige. And we'll see you. Bye.